G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. Most people that are new to entrepreneurship, they have, they carry a lot of stress and a lot of demand on themselves to be successful at their first time at the bat, you know, so they, they think they're going to step up to the plate, hit a grand slam and they're hoping to. And then when they don't, they sometimes, unfortunately, they quit and they never come back again, right? They think like, oh, I guess it wasn't meant for me. I, I'm not going to be Jeff Bezos. And, you know, I, I tried, so I'm just going to go back to my job. And guys, you have to realize that you learn the most from your failures and your challenges. I would never hire a coach or learn from anybody who's never had failure, even within that industry or that business a few times, because, man, we have to have those failures to really find our blind spots. Sometimes we don't think about things and things happen and they cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. And you realize like, holy crap, like, how do I not have that happen again? And you build in your processes and systems and your risk management, and then you become better as a result. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. During the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Tony Watley. Now, Tony became known as a side hustle millionaire after his book 
with the same title became a number one bestselling on Amazon. But this book isn't just, it's in fiction. He's based on an actual true story. Tony once led a successful corporate career for over 25 years, but this is less interesting than the side business that he created, which generated millions of dollars in profits. He's an active entrepreneur himself today, and he still owns a few active businesses which helps him produce passive income, but his real passion lies in teaching entrepreneurs how to start, scale, and sell their business with his podcast and consulting brand, 365 Driven. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible insight and knowledge with us, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Tony. Welcome to the show. How are you today, mate? Hey, Reed. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm looking forward to this opportunity, and I know we had a pleasure of connecting on my show a few episodes ago, and looking forward to bringing some equal value to your audience as well. Well, mate, I, uh, I was just saying in the green room before we press record, I was like, man, I've got to get you on my show, but our podcast assistants already had it hooked up in the same week. So for those listeners, uh, definitely check out 365 Driven on iTunes. It is 365.driven.com. I was on uh, Tony's show about a couple of days ago. Um, so these, these shows are probably going to launch in the same time. So if you're uh, interested to, to check out Tony's show, jump over there. But Tony... I like to ask all my guests when they dive on the show is rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Man, I was a broke kid. I lived in the crappiest houses in the crappiest neighborhood because my parents really valued us having an education, my sister and I. And so we lived in a really low income, I would say lower middle class neighborhood and we would buy the crappiest house on the street. And I remember going into these houses and just thinking like, why are the carpet bright purple and why are the walls painted green and why is there wallpaper and that crappy ass wood paneling on the walls and things like that you know and over the period of time when we'd live there the four of us we would just end up redoing the entire house while we lived there inside and out and eventually it became one of the nicer looking houses on the street my mom was always a green thumb she liked to do the gardening and landscaping and my sister and I we pushed a lawnmower and did all the labor right and my dad you know, he worked in the chemical refineries to help pay for all these things. So we literally lived in flip houses. So I didn't have money. I didn't have allowance. My birthday is in November and Christmas is in December this time of year. So really like two months, I was getting gifts for being a kid. Right? So the rest of the 10 months a year, I had to figure out how to do things on my own. And for me, that was just figuring out what it took. I, I was 10, 12 years old. I was knocking doors and mowing yards and walking dogs and raking leaves and washing cars and and a lot of times I just wouldn't take no for an answer. I would say, hey, I see your, your, your grass is kind of tall. I, I've got my mower here and my gasoline. And I'll mow it for, for $10. And they say, oh, no, no, we don't need that. And I was like, well, I'll be happy to wash your car for five. You know, and I would just, I was always trying to up or down sell them even as a kid. And, and the funny thing is that I was remember I'd be mowing these yards and my kids, my friends would ride by on their bicycles and they would see me mowing somebody's yard in a different part of the neighborhood. And they would laugh at me like, what are you doing, Tony? Like, that's not your house. Are you lost? And I just really never cared what they thought. I thought it was kind of funny myself. I was always willing to laugh at myself, but that's how I was able to buy skateboards and bicycles and video games and things like that. So, you know, people call that as entrepreneurship or kidpreneurship nowadays. But to me, it was just like, this is how I buy things. And it was kind of a means to do that. Right. No, I, I, I had a very similar upbringing where it's like, I didn't get an allowance. It was like, if you, if you wanted something, you need to go out and get it and earn it. And I think by the sounds of it, you're working from a young age. I remember being 13 and a half years of age and 
walking down the, lo- the local cafes with, you know, ripped up piece of newspaper with my parents' landline on. Hey, give me, give me a call if you need anything to sweep in, the, you know, whatever it was, sweeping the floor or setting the tables up. So I, lo- I love talking to people like that because it, it gives us a perspective of what your childhood was like. And it brings back a lot of memories, nostalgic memories for myself as well, like having the, the lemonade stands and just trying to create a couple of bucks for yourself to buy the skateboards or the videos or mm-hmm. do whatever it is with whatever you had. <laughs> and I think that's, it's, it builds a real resilience and, um, you know, creativity to, to looking at something and saying, Hey, how can I go make a dollar from whatever the, the product is, whether it's sweat labor or, you know, you're trying to build something, uh, or you, I remember packaging up small bags of dirt uh, from my parents' garden and just like, no one would buy a sandwich bag full of dirt for 50 cents, but you know, my parents would give 50 cents to the neighbors to come and buy it. So similar, similar type of upbringing. So I love it, but walk us through your background and, and, and how you've got involved in entrepreneurship, because I know in the introduction, I mentioned you're 25 years in the corporate industry. So mm-hmm. you've had a long time in a space that ultimately you walked away from. So, so maybe talk a little bit about that. And then when that aha moment came for wanting to do more with your life and, and, and have that freedom. And I honestly never thought that business ownership would be something that I would entertain or be a part of. I mean, I grew up in that era where education was what you had to go get. I mean, literally I would remember looking out the window and my dad and mom would see like the garbage man would go by, for example, on the back of the truck. And they said, if you don't go to college, you're going to end up hanging on the back of that truck, just like them, or you're going to be working labor jobs. You know, basically what my parents did, my mom was a cafeteria school worker and my dad worked in the refineries after he got out of the military. So they knew the value of hard work and they didn't want that for their kids. But back then you got to realize that, you know, early nineties that we didn't have cell phones or internet and we didn't have access to information. So information nowadays is very readily accessible and, you could literally learn anything by reading books or watching YouTube or buying courses. Now we didn't have that. So if you needed to get education or information, you went to school. And, and when you have someone that's pushing you, especially my mom is Japanese and she's really hard on education and, you know, getting an A minus was like, might as well fail that kind of scenario. I mean, literally read, I, I did not miss a single day of school from kindergarten all the way through graduation. I didn't wow. miss one, one day of school. That's how consistent I was. And, and I remember hating that early on because I would see my kid, my friends skip class and things like that. I wish I could do that. I wish my parents were cool. But after a few years, I started to become that. I started to become my identity. Like, hey, I have perfect attendance. I show up. Mm. I'm going to I'm going to be here unless I'm dying, right? And that became a really a, an affirmation of a goal for myself. I'm just going to get perfect attendance all the time. Why can't I? Why no one else is doing it? Why not me? Right? So competitiveness kind of becomes your identity and you start to really live up to those standards. Now, going into this, as I understand entrepreneurship, I used to ride my bicycle and see the main street in town and it's always at some kind of shop with a service with someone's last name. So it'd be, you know, Goosen's plumbing and hardware or just something. So you always realize like, well, I'm broke. So doing the simple math, I can never afford that building, much less the sign on the front of it. So therefore I don't have money. My family doesn't have money. Therefore I'll never own a business. Cause that's what we think about main street America. And what I started to realize is after playing around on the internet more in the late nineties in the university, when I first got on, I didn't have it at the house. I had it at school. Most people were using the information on the internet really back then just to kind of learn things or just to see things like newspaper, you know, information. And 
I started wondering like, how can I make money from this? Like there's gotta be a way to sell stuff on here. There's a lot of people looking at it. We started to see more people getting online every year, started to have this exponential growth. And so there's gotta be a way to make money. And I think a lot of people in that era, which was the late nineties was looking at ways to monetize things. So how do you build a website? How do you make someone able to buy something? How do you process a credit card online? Like all these questions, right? And while I was working in engineering or entry level project management, I was tired of being told to wait my turn. So this is kind of, kind of goes back to that. Just watch me, you know, like, like I'd already been working in the field, literally welding and grinding pipe and doing the takeoffs and working as a pipe fitter for seven years while I was attending school at night to pay for my own degree in engineering. And when I graduated, I got these jobs and they would treat me like I was just some fresh grad that never had any experience. It's like, guys, I was actually the ones out there building this stuff for a long time. That's how I, it took me seven years to graduate. You know, it took me that I was doing that, but they would look at me and go, I mean, you're 26, 27. Like you're too young to manage. You're too young to, to, to be a project manager and manage $1 million. And like, it's a lot of risk. And so I, I really just got told tired of being told, wait my turn, pay your dues. You know, it'll come for you. When I knew I could run circles around a lot of these people, especially my peers that had never worked who just graduated and they were in their early twenties and they were kind of the, the bright eyed, bushy tail engineers that didn't know anything applicable. Right. And so I started looking for external ways to be creative, external ways to make my own decisions, to take my own risks, to learn new things. And, and for me, that was a, a genuine curiosity I had about making things on the internet. So I said, okay, I want to make visual stuff on the internet. So how do I do that? How do I put a picture that's in my mind and make it on the screen? And I remember just buying books at the bookstore and just teaching myself how to do graphic design with Photoshop and stuff like that. And I would flip page by page and I would build something and I would practice it and it would get a little bit better. Then I soon enough, I could do graphics. I said, so how do I make buttons and things like this? Like, how do I make it interactive? And so you need to learn how to do HTML, how to code a web page. It's like, okay, I'll go buy a book on that. And so I went and bought that and I practiced it. And back then I started building these little one to three page websites. It's like a side hustle. And I was a car guy, like we touched on a little bit. Or I love cars. I'm a car fanatic. And I said, man, I need, I need parts for my car, but I don't have a high paying job. And I need to figure out how to make some extra money to buy car parts or wheels or exhaust or things like that. So what I did is I got these car magazines and I would look through them and I would see the advertisements in these magazines. And I said, Hey, there's no website shown on this ad. So they probably don't have a website. So let me just call them or email them and go, Hey, do you have a website? And if not, then say, Hey, I can build you a website if you'll trade me some car parts. So for a long time was this bartering system, not, not really a whole lot different than the childhood thing of just getting what we want. Right. But I had the skill. I was able to build websites really simple. It took me three or four hours to build something and I'd make $2,000 in car parts essentially. And eventually I ran out of, needing any car parts. I said, well, maybe I should just start charging for this. And that's kind of what it did. So, you know, entrepreneurship for me was just a way to learn new things, be creative, take my chances and also earn some money doing that. But I had to go learn a skill. And I think that's where most people get this wrong is they, they don't go learn a skill that can be monetized. And I think also out of that is not necessarily learning a skill that can't be monetized, but continuing to learn a skill or skills, plural, because as you stumble across a problem, you're curious enough to go and say, Hey, I'm going to go, I need to go learn this. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. My ego is not getting in the way that I think I know everything I need to go and start again. So it's going to the library, picking up the, how to code and, and build a website. Like that's, that takes a certain type of person who, 
is humble one and and but but also two extremely curious about what how to how to you know, build something new. So, and I love what you said about waiting, you know, earning your dues and not being able to get that promotion because that is what the corporate world is all about, right? I remember coming into that and exactly the same thing, um, and and not having that that sort of the ability to you know, promote from within or whatever that might be. And so I think that is so important for so many people listening to the show that the difference between someone who's in a W2 job and that person who's an entrepreneur or wanting to be an entrepreneur is actually going out and taking action to learn that new skill to go monetize it. Yeah. So, 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 so well done. But how did you then go into monetizing a website? Because instantly now the, the business brain in me would go, why don't you go start a, a search website for car parts? Did you think about that back then? Now, I've always been this community builder. I've always been a leadership type personality, even in career where I would mentor younger people or new people to the staff, even if it wasn't my roles and responsibilities, just who my nature was. I always wanted to be a teacher. And even for a period, a couple of years while I was in the university, I was substitute teaching at local high schools, but I would only teach the advanced classes. I wanted to teach kids that wanted to be there. So it would be physics and calculus and things like that, things I had interest in. And so... I didn't want to be a teacher, man. Just the income level. I was like, dude, I'm not going to go, go to school for four or five years and get out and make $45,000 a year. It's just not going to happen. And, and so here we are now. I'm a business coach and, and a mentor and I help people start business. I'm a teacher. I, I took that same passion or energy and love and it's something I'm still doing today. Just like you're doing. You're teaching people with your podcasts and your books. You were always a teacher. You just didn't take that as a profession. And I think that's also important to point that out to people that are listening that you may be that teacher, that mentor type, that coach type, and it may not be what you're doing right now, but don't take it off the table. It may come to you later on. It may materialize in ways that you don't understand at the moment. But for me, dude, it was just all about how do I learn something and apply it and then get a result. And then I've always been that one that would be really excited about teaching somebody as soon as I get a result. I think a lot of times people skip the results part. They skip the proficiency or expertise part. They go read it and they try to teach it. But that never sat well with me and it still doesn't. I want to go learn it, do it, get some really demonstrable results and repeatable success. And then I'm excited to go teach it. So that goes back to even like childhood, dude. Like I would skateboard. I was a skateboarder. I was sponsored by a local surf shop and I was really good at learning tricks really fast because I would just do the reps and not afraid to eat crap, you know, falling on my face a hundred times to figure it out. But as soon as I mastered it, I could not wait to teach my friends how to do it. So it's kind of that same process, right? And for business, it was always that same way. It's like, what can I learn? What can I do to get better at it? And how can I teach other people? And I realized that even early on that the more people that I impact, the more people that I entertain or give them knowledge or advice or support or accountability where they start to see their own results, it always comes back in a financial reward for me. I don't do it for that, but I see it as a scorecard, as a value that we create. And I think too many people focus on themselves. They just want to make themselves better. They want to learn something for themselves. They want to make the money for themselves and they become maybe an expert. They can be a highly compensated expert at that, but until they start to teach that to other people, it's not going to grow and exponentially scale to make you the millions of dollars that you really dream about. I completely agree. And it sounds, but not everyone, and it sounds like you're just, you have an innate ability to want to give and help other people, but not everyone, not every entrepreneur wants to do that, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I can, I can definitely simulate. I love teaching. You know, you, you listen to some entrepreneurs and they say you master your craft through teaching. You know, you, you go out and do it and then you, you, you then master it by actually helping others replicate the success you've done. Um, but I want to jump into this side hustle 
millionaire book because you you have written a book yourself. You 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 have started. You've got your own podcast. You've got the book. But what are the lessons in that book that you're trying to teach and help that person who is sitting in the W two job right now, who is, is sitting in the cubicle, to think more curiously about a, a something that they're passionate about? You know, I'm glad that you specified the person so well in that case because here's the situation I saw from 20 plus years. I mean, I was making a lot more money in my side businesses than I was in my career. I was a multiple six-figure earner. Late in my engineering career, I was making about 240000 a year. But my side businesses were making three to 400000 a year. And people would see hints of my lifestyle, maybe the car I drive or the things I wear, that they see the vacations on Instagram or whatever. They just see something, they were curious, and they would always come up to me and talk about my colleagues, my coworkers. Some of them would just ask out of just nosiness and you could tell the difference between the people that were just wanting to know, like, you know, were you born rich or did you inherit money? Or they're just, they're wanting some way to validate why they don't have it. And they're hoping that you're going to give them that. Right. And the other people were more curious and they would ask the right questions. They would ask, you know, what does it take? What would you recommend for me? Knowing my, what I do with the skill sets I have, like, what would you recommend that I look at? How would I benefit this? I have this really good idea. What do you think about this? Like they were really specific with their questions. And I could tell that some people just ask, some people just really wanted to improve. Right. So I like that you specified that because I'll tell you, nothing frustrates me or people like you more than people that just ask you for advice and they don't do anything with it. And you see them five years down the road, 10 years down the road, they're in the exact same situation and they haven't done anything with the advice. Right. And you're like, what the hell? So I used to take that more personal, but now I started to realize in later years that I need to quit wasting my time with people that don't raise their hand, that are willing to go do something to take action. Because as much as I like dogs, I couldn't save every cute little puppy in the dog pound. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. I mean, it, it, we would love to be able to do that in an ideal world. That sounds great, but we really have to be focused on the people that want to make changes. So that was what the book was. It was okay. How do I, take these people that would have these conversations around the water cooler at work or maybe in the cubicle farm. And they would ask me how to do things. And what what were the steps, you know, what were the steps to go from ideation to building something that's actual business? I said, man, pretty common sense. And it's funny that when I wrote this book, read, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're always jazzed up about the latest and the greatest things that we're learning. Right. You know, because we've been operating for so many years, we're like, Oh, that old basic stuff, like that's background stuff. It's subconscious. Now I don't even think about that. I want to talk about the new shiny stuff, the cool stuff that we're playing with right now. And, and so that's what ego tells you. Like you go, Hey, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to talk about the newest, shiny, coolest things that are groundbreaking and visionary. And you, you think that you're going to write this book. So I'm smart enough to understand product knowledge and also market analyses And so what I did is I went on on my social media and I said, Hey guys, I'm going to write a book. What would you think that I would write about? And just saw the feedback. And so people were like, uh, leadership, business owners, entrepreneurship, how to make your car go faster. Like you start to see all these things that people perceive you as an authority or an expert in, right? But there's always going to be the Gaussian curve, you know, for us nerds of of how you're going to see this, a hill start to form of this one subject or two subjects that people really think that you're an expert in. And for me, it was how to start businesses and how to become successful in business. I was like, good, because that's what I wanted to write about anyways. So I was still thinking high level, you know, advanced strategies. And, but again, I'm good at product knowledge and market analysis. So I said, okay, guys, I'm going to write this book on entrepreneurship. What questions would you like answered in this book? That's what I put out there. Just really vague. 
And again, you start to see the questions form. A lot of them are very similar. And what I've found, it was very basic stuff. It was very basic stuff. Like very beginning, starting how to get your business going. How do you name it? What's an LLC, an S-Corp? What, how do you get the money? Where do you get the website? Like all the basic, basic stuff, like year one startup stuff, like, you know, non, non-venture capital, like start at home type businesses. And, you know, if I would have had a big ego, I would have said, well, yeah, psh, that's such basic stuff. I'm, I'm too good. I'm too smart. I'm too successful to write the basic book. I'm not going to waste my time, but no you build the product or the service that people ask for. And so I said, okay, I will commit to writing this book. And I realized in that moment that if I just look at these questions and I answer every single one of these beginner level basic questions at a high level of detail, give tangible examples, mindset strategies, and give them the goods, like here's the resources, here's where you're gonna improve in all these aspects, then I will write a successful book. That's kind of how I build my books. And it sold over a thousand copies the first week. It became a number one bestseller in the small business category. And I took the screenshots where it passed all these people that I admired and read all their books. I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk, Simon Sinek, Donald Trump, Grant Cardone, my little self-published book. It's because I built the book people wanted. And so it's the real simple answer is how do you take your idea for your businesses? Like if you have more than one idea, how do you evaluate those ideas against each other to give you the best odds of success? How do you name it? How do you brand it? How do you market it? How do you find the funding or bootstrap it? How do you do all these things? And the first two chapters are really the mindset and getting over the objections of why you're not doing it. And what are the biggest mistakes other entrepreneurs that I surveyed shared with the book? So it's a, it's a startup book. It's how to get you really to a, a first seven figure business is what I would say. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you'll automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. Besides mindset, and mindset's so important, what are the other, given we're both engineers, what are the other steps in the book that are more tangible and practical to someone listening today? You know, they've got, they're, they're listening to the show. I want to start a business. I want to, I want to do it. I want to break out of the day job. But I just, I've got the mindset there, but I just don't know the practicality. Because, you know, we're both engineers, right? I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very much like a break it down into its parts, like a, a math equation. And yep. you'll be able to the, 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 the sum, you know, you'll be able to sum it up a lot easier once it's in its parts. So, so, so what, what else is in the book that really could, someone could say, boom, I can do that tomorrow. I could work for that on towards that for the next two or three months, because it is a little goal that I know that will help keep moving. You know, it's, it's, it's very overwhelming and creates a lot of anxiety for people when they look at the tasks, like the entire task lists as a whole, right? They, they see this big pile of things that they had to go accomplish to make a business. And usually the first question is like, where do I start? Like, oh my God, this is so much stuff. And I got the guru over here telling me things and my, my best friend telling me this and my mom and dad telling me this. And it's just, it's just all this chaos creates anxiety, it creates overwhelm and they don't start at all. So that's where most people sit. They just, they, they're just like overwhelmed. They read all these books and they don't, they take any action. So you described it like I do. I'm a project manager. I look at the objective. What is the goal? 
what is the level of quality, the, the target income, the target time freedom, perhaps, that you can build into these businesses? Like, what do I want to achieve? And once the goal is established, it becomes really clear of the path of the steps that are required to get there. Then you start to understand, like, just like project management, because it is a project, how long does it take to do this task? Which tasks do I need to complete before I can do these next two tasks? So understanding the sequence, the order, where you need to add in more resources or money to escalate the result or where you can do things and learn things on yourself and save some money and maybe escalate the time. So there's just ways to get back to that. And the, the tasks, I think that the most important early in that book for the non-mindset chapters is how to evaluate your ideas. Because you and I both know hundreds of people that walk up to you and go, Hey Reed, I got this business idea. You got time to listen. I'm like, yeah, let me hear it. And I tell you, and you're just like shaking your damn head and you're like, Oh man, like, do you not see like where this is going or what the limitation is or that there's not even a market for this or the price point that you're trying to think about is not even going to be really worthwhile and then no one's going to buy this thing. Like you have to see what the, what the viability of the business is. Is this really going to be potentially successful or is it just something you're holding on to? And what the problem is that you find that most people hold on to these nostalgic ideas or just something that makes them feel good, but they don't really think of it from a business perspective, right? Like think about this. If you're really good at hand building widgets and you're really good at building whatever this widget is, but it takes you three hours to build one widget and you make a profit of $30 because that's what the market allows. Like, is that really a good business model? It takes a lot of time. You don't make a lot of money. Maybe that's some idea. That's just an idea you should walk away from. Most people are unwilling to walk away from dumb ideas. So in one of these chapters, I give a real simple step-by-step -step process of how to analyze these ideas. Like, and it goes into what is your real interest level? What is the potential income level? If you were to estimate, what does your lifestyle look by selling that? And what, is your look, what does it look like the market? How many people really want that service, that product? Or also, what are the resources or the advantages that you have, whether financial or knowledge or access to special equipment or apps that most people don't have? Like, what are the current resources you have available that are giving you a distinct advantage over others right now to get this, right? So it comes into a little simple formula. And when you multiply it out, you get a ratio. And with that ratio, it kind of gives you a ranking. Now you can judge all five of your ideas and go, well, these two actually have the highest, you know, goals that meet my criteria. I want, I want to make this amount of income. I want to have this amount of time, freedom, flexibility, and I actually have the advantage in this. So that might be the answer. You know, it might give you some clarity finally, like these other ones, they're just ideas, but those need to be shelved. Waste of my time, waste of my money, waste of my resources. Because I think we, with the businesses, especially startups, is if you go waste a year doing the wrong business without understanding that, you really wasted two years. And I, was, and I say that is because you wasted a year on that one, but you also wasted the year you didn't spend on the one you should have been building. So you wasted two years. But one thing I want to say, Tony, is that sometimes when you go down these paths, of maybe not a good idea. You may not know it's a good idea yet, right? Or you think you have an idea, it might be good. Sometimes those lead, you need to go down that path in order to lead you to what is a good idea. Case in point, I've got a friend back in Australia. Um, he started a betting app called Punter for people to bet against each other. You know, like, oh, I'm, I bet you can't jump that fence. Oh yeah, well here's, here's 20 bucks and I'll do it, right? It was called, you know, you're a punter, you're, you're, you're a gambler. Mm -hmm. And it ultimately came down this pathway where he's now, and it's actually betting on esports like 
you know, your, um, you know, your online gaming, stuff like that. I'm not in that community, but there, there's a big need for it. So it's gone from an idea of, hey, let's bet a few mates over a beer or something stupid or, you know, whatever, into a more of a refined market that in, there's a demand for. So what's your comments on that? Because sometimes you need to go down those paths to eliminate these ideas that could ultimately bring you to the idea that you really, really want you know, that, that will, that will be the thing that you end up going and doing creating millions of dollars from. Actually, I have a, a pretty funny example of that because you reminded me of this punter, right? OnlyFans. OnlyFans was related to esports and, and building things where people could tip you for doing a gaming thing where people get to watch you and see you in live stream. But then it became the adult industry mm-hmm. type place, right? So it was never intended for that. Even the founders initially were like, oh, we should like maybe put some rules out about this. And and their shareholders were like, no, like it's making a profit. Shut up and just, <laughs> just keep doing what you're doing. Right. Cause see what I mean? So it evolved. It, 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 your adaptation from the industry or the market may not be exactly the way you intended, but if you don't have that flexibility to pivot and go that direction, then you're actually not a really good businessman because a lot of times ego gets in the way of entrepreneurs. A lot of times let's, let's be real here where they go, no, it was only intended for the gaming streaming thing. And this, these people are ruining my idea. And like, like that's not a business decision. Like it, it's, you know, is, is it illegal? Is it doing something that's unethical in your core values? Maybe then you sell it or maybe you just build an offshoot brand to capture that market itself on a different name if you wanted to preserve your branding, right? But the flexibility I think is key. And we also understand that most people that are new to entrepreneurship, they have, they carry a lot of stress and a lot of demand on themselves to be successful at their first time at the bat, you know? So they, they think they're going to step up to the plate, hit a grand slam and they're hoping to. And then when they don't, they sometimes, unfortunately they quit and they never come back again. Right. They think like, Oh, I guess it wasn't meant for me. I, I'm not going to be Jeff Bezos. And you know, I, I tried, so I'm just going to go back to my job. And guys, you have to realize that, you learn the most from your failures and your challenges. I would never hire a coach or learn from anybody who's never had failure, even within that industry or that business a few times, because man, we have to have those failures to really find our blind spots. Sometimes we don't think about things and things happen and they cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. And you realize like, Holy crap, I, how do I not have that happen again? And you build in your processes and systems and your risk management, and then you become better as a result. And you know, even large corporations do this. So you think about that. And, and most people are just really hard on themselves, man. I see people that start a company and I always recommend starting a low risk company. Like if you can do something that's going to maybe lose you $10,000, it was worth the lesson. It was definitely worth the lesson. But if you build something that requires $100,000 of your life savings invested into to buy all this infrastructure and building and all that. And you're taking high risks with your money without understanding the process first. So start small, be comfortable, build something that kind of learns as you go and you'll become a better entrepreneur as a result. I completely agree. I think starting small is so important for that risk. And I think for the mental, goes back to your early point, the mindset, when you're saying, okay, well, it's not, you're not gambling. I don't, nothing's gambling because I remember when I bought my first property, I pay, I paid all cash for it, 38,000 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I had to go through the mindset of I could lose this and I need to be okay with that. And if you're okay with that, you're willing to take that step. It was, it was a calculated risk. So to your point, when you're starting a business, 10,000, you start small. You know, I didn't build what I built today 
with starting with a thousand units, I built by buying one property. Mm-hmm. So I really, really, uh, I love that. And then I love what you said about the ego part because it is so true. I think as entrepreneurs, we have to be malleable enough in our businesses. We do have a vision. We do have goals. We do have things we want to go to. But life will change. Technology will change. Partnerships will change. Relationships will change. And that may have a different outcome for your business. And you have to be okay with that. I remember a guy named Dan Priestley has been on the show. He's written the book, Key Person of Influence. Fantastic book. You should definitely go get your hands on it if you haven't. But he talks about the analogy of a, of a surfer, right? And I love surfing, so I'm going to go there. But when waves break, they don't just break in one area or, or, or break one way. They, they break all over the place. And you have to learn how to ride the wave, or ride, like, like riding a skateboard. And if you're not moving and riding that wave of change and you're becoming stagnant, you'll get wiped out. Yep. That's, that's, so, that's the important part of having that mindset around keep moving, keep evolving because that is part of the journey and that's okay that you pivot or you change or you do a business that doesn't, doesn't really work out but you learned a ton of values from that to go create business number two or three or four. And yeah. then finding people, mentorships that people who have failed in the past because they can help protect you of your blind spots. I really think that's an important piece of advice as well. So, um, Tony, you know, we're coming towards the end of the show here, but what do what you got planned for, for 2022 and, and beyond with the business, with what you're building with 365 driven, your, your branding company, your coaching company and all the rest. Well, 365 driven is a entrepreneurship community because I'm a community builder. I mean, I build these large communities and I just wanted to apply the same leadership principles, the guiding support, the knowledge, the accountability, and really just the camaraderie of entrepreneurs. Because I realize that most people that are business owners are sometimes the only business owner in their entire family. So they don't really have anybody that understands them and they don't have the same conversations. I mean, nothing eats us up more than we go to a social setting. Here we are in the holidays recording this. And people are sitting around the table talking about television shows and what their sports their kids are playing and just things like that. And we're like, man, I just want to talk about the future. And then you go, you go hang out with your old friends, like people you went to university or high school with and everybody's talking about, Hey, remember when, Hey, remember when they're, they're peaked, man. They think that they peaked already back then. And they think their life is on the downhill slope. And I want to surround myself and build communities of people that talk about, Hey, imagine when not remember when, but imagine when, like, what's it going to be? So I love that. You just talked about that question. Here you are. You're asking what's coming next for 2022. You're literally saying what's imagine when, right? So for 2022, I just signed a television show deal. It's going to be, they just filmed actually last week. They came and followed me around for a documentary series and that's going to air sometime maybe in late spring. And, we put on our live events. We do these destination type getaways for entrepreneurs are usually three day events. And we do two of those a year, kind of always looking for things that are like bucket list items or destination vacations. And we keep it small, less than 50 people because we like the speakers to hang around for the three days and interact and have meals with each other. And we really build really strong bonds. Uh, coaching is always going to be something that I'm interested in doing. I've got one-on-one clients. I've got mastermind groups, eight people each in those. And that's just something I really give my gratitude and my, my give back. I love the, the coaching things. So again, I'm a teacher. It kind of fulfills the need. It's the scratching the edge, checking the box of that. And next book I'm going to be writing also, I'm writing my second book. I'm going to push myself a little harder this time. It's going to be more of a fiction book. That's narrative with loosely an entrepreneurship, but we're going to have some good ideas diversity and bad characters and good characters. Cause I'm a creator, man. I love to be creative and that's going to really just push my creative envelope, push me out of my comfort zone. So those are some of the things I'm working on for 22. 
That's awesome, mate. What, what about personally? I'm sure it's all fulfilling you personally, but is there any yeah. personal goals like health-wise or family or relationships, anything like that? Man, I just turned 49 and I've been consistently exercising at least six days a week since I was 40, so nine years. And I've hit a lot of records. I'm actually physically stronger than I've ever been in my life. And one of my goals is to, to deadlift off the ground 500 pounds before I'm 50. So I got basically a little less than a year to achieve that. I'm, I'm pretty close. I'm at 490 pounds now, but it's taken me a couple of years to get to that level. So it's just little things like that. And to me, it's just, it's an improvement thing. My brand name's 365 Driven because we always want to incrementally improve every single day, whether that's knowledge, relationships, health, wealth, mindset, like always trying to improve to become the better version of ourselves to see who we're going to become in the next few years. And the people that I coach, the people that are in my community, we're always really aware of that. We hold each other accountable. We push each other to do that because I realize that, yeah, we can be multimillionaires and have all this money, but if we're not physically health, healthy, then what does it matter? If you're not, if you're not happy, what does it matter? If your relationships and your kids and your spouse hate you, like, what does it matter? Like there needs to be some level of balance. And I'm very fortunate enough to work around the world and go to some different places like Africa where I've spent months and realize that gratitude and perspective come a long way. And most people unfortunately live in a bubble and they think that everything's like bad and they're, they're complaining about first world problems within a bubble, within a bubble, within a bubble. And, you know, that's why I like that conversation you and I had on my show, but perspective as immigrants, I'm a, I'm a first generation American myself. And just understanding like most people don't know how good we really have it in this country. Mm-hmm. And right. it takes, it takes people like you and I to be more vocal about that, to point out like, Hey, you need to be grat- grat- have some gratitude, mm-hmm. understand that the rest of the world is not like this. And a lot of times people are wondering if they're going to eat for the next few days and you're complaining right. about something being cold, you know? Right. So perspective is everything. Let's, let's try harder to make this a better world. I 100% agree, mate. And yeah, get on a plane to a third world country, go see how grateful, you know, people are with, with next to nothing, with still a big smile on their face and mm-hmm. it will really put everything into perspective. So I completely yeah. agree. And I love that you got the little goals for yourself. Don't throw that back out, mate. Uh, 500 pounds. My favorite. I, mean, I hope you've got a squat belt on. <laughs> oh yeah. You don't oh, want to yeah. slip that disc. It's like no. awesome, awesome stuff. But look, at the end of every show, we'd love to dive in the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's go. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? For me, it's fitness, man. I think that it gives me the mental clarity. And one of the things I do when I go to the gym is I don't listen to music. I love music, but I take that time to listen to my audiobooks or my podcasts. So I call that my learn and burn moment. And I look forward to doing that every day. Love it. I love it. Question number two is, who is the most influential person in your career to date? I would say that the most influential person is still my mother because she was a big dreamer. She's a Japanese immigrant. She came here and she used to say things like, you could be the president of the United States. You could be an astronaut, like all these big things because she realized that coming to the United States had a lot of opportunities to be whatever we wanted to be. And as a kid, you kind of roll your eyes and go, yeah, 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 mom. And, you know, I grew up with what we now know as a vision board. We called it a dream board. I had a cork board above my desk and she would tell me to cut things out of magazines that I like and thumbtack those up there and hang my awards on there. And I just thought that was normal, man. I grew up that way. And I realized that unfortunately, most people don't have that visionary or the manifesting type thing. I grew up with that thinking that this is how everybody is doing it. So she had to influence a lot of the things I think about now. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I had a very similar upbringing with, with my parents. So, so kudos to your mom. Um, question number three is, in, what is the most influential tool in your business? And when I say tool, it could be a piece of software or it could be a physical tool like a journal or a phone that you just can't run your business without. What is it? I'll keep it really simple. It's the Google Calendar. Mm. 
man, most people come up to you, hey, Reed, man, I want to do this. I want to start this. I don't have any time. And so when you say that to someone like me or you, we say, hey, well, pull out your calendar. Let me see. Mm. And they're like, what calendar? I don't use a calendar. And it's like, well, do you not have time or are you just not managing the time that you do have? Because we all have 24 hours a day. And are you saying that the highly, highly successful people out there don't have a calendar and they don't have time either? They're doing all, they're running hundreds of businesses sometimes, but they don't have time, but you don't have time. Like it's Google calendar guys, it's on your phone. It syncs with most of the productivity apps that are out there. Get in the habit of putting things on your calendar every single day, time slot, those things. And soon enough, it'll become your routine. It'll become your habit. Even my wife, when she wants to go to dinner or we want to go on vacation, she knows that I have a calendar and she'll say, Hey, what does your calendar look like on January 29th? You know, mm-hmm. we, we kind of, we schedule things out months and years in advance. That way we make time for the things that matter. That's right. And I, I always say, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. In one sentence, question number four, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? And what have you learned from that failure? The biggest failure in my career was assuming, I use the acquisition one. When I sold my company, I assumed that the people buying the company were going to be friendly and be best friends and things like that. And, you know, there was no non-compete and, you know, things were good. The transaction went well, everything was well. But within the two years, we decided that they were really holding back some of their, their earnouts on us. And within their control, they could have helped. And I, we started to call them on that said, hey, you guys aren't collecting this revenue. That's why it's not hitting our, our bonus targets here, you know, for this earnout. And they said, well, you know, that we, you can't prove it. And I said, well, can I just pay the money that's outstanding? So we hit our goal, right? It was a lot bigger goal, right? No. So I realized that even though things are in writing and contracts that are existing in place, make sure that whenever you're getting paid, that you have ways that the performance is not always on the other party. It needs to be something that you can still manage to, to correct in those situations. So don't just trust people with them hitting their, their objectives or financial objectives with your money. No, completely agree. Yeah. That's friendships and relationships, as I said, can evolve and that clearly people have different um, agendas compared mm-hmm. to what you are. So really, really agree with that. Mate, question number five, last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation that would be in your sphere? Where do they go? My website, 365driven.com, and you'll find links to my book, my podcast, the community, everything at one website. Keep it simple. I love it. I love it, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you again for taking some time out of your day to jump on the show. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think, obviously, your mother has a big influence on where you are today, but I still love how you, even through your high achievement mode, your typical type A type of achiever, you were still curious about things and you never ever had an ego that was big enough to say, I don't know, I already know everything and I don't need to learn a new skill. I think constantly upskilling is such an important thing as entrepreneurs we need to do because we never know it all. And if you think you know it all, that's when failure starts to occur. And, and, and so continue to be curious and continue to challenge yourself to learn new things, helps breed and build new opportunities. Um, and I also like the fact that you're a teacher at heart. That's what you want to do. You want to share the knowledge with other people and you've created a business around that. That really probably helps you fulfill a lot of personal needs uh, for you. So uh, kudos to you, man. Um, did I leave anything out? No, man. Uh, you touched on that same subject twice about having the humility to learn new things. And I want to stress that I say it a little bit more abrupt. I say you have to be willing to suck. You just, you have to be willing to realize that you're new at something, you're going to suck and that 
people that you see that have a proficiency or doing things, they've been doing it longer. They put a lot of more, put more work into it. And I've seen this time and time again. I mean, even when I was joining Toastmasters, I used to have stage fright and people would come in, be in their executive clothes. And I said, ah, I don't really need this. You know, I'm a CEO of this fortune 500 company, but my board of directors recommended I come in here. I'm, I'm, I've been leading companies for 20 years and you know, within two meetings, they would be humbled. They would be humbled because they realized they weren't as good of an effective communicator as they thought they were. And those are the kind of people, unfortunately, they would actually have their ego keep them from showing back up after they were humbled. The good ones would be like, damn, I thought I was pretty good. I'm a leader. Look at this company. I realize I have a lot of work to do. And they would show up. They would take the tie off and actually come in in normal clothes and contribute value and become a member. And then they would get the amazing results in a few months. So you have to be willing to suck. It's not a lateral move. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're automatically going to be regarded as good at everything. So you got to be willing to start at the bottom. That's awesome. No, I think, and thank you for summarizing that succinctly. (laughs) But mate, again, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thank you, Reed. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Tony. Remember to head over to 365driven.com to check out all he is doing on his in his world about building his community around entrepreneurs who want to learn more, scale more, and grow a business. Uh, I want to thank you all for taking some time out of, out of today to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And the easiest way to give back is to give the show a five-star review on iTunes. And we're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.